Hello, Brittany and Marie here. Welcome to the Property Management Show. Today, we will be interviewing Jeff Hacker from Bayside Property Management all the way in Marin County, California. He will be talking to us about industry trends, you know, in the primary, secondary, and tertiary markets. So if you're someone who wants to learn more about um, rental market trends mm -hmm. in your area or know how to keep up with the ever-changing trends in the industry, make sure you keep listening. This episode is sponsored by PM Growth Summit. It is the annual conference for growth-minded property managers. Our 2020 conference is brought to you by 4.5 Property Management Marketing Agency in partnership with Seacoast Commerce Bank, the preferred bank for property management trust accounts. The next PM Growth Summit will be in Austin, Texas from May 27 to 29, 2020. Go to pmgrowsummit.com to register. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. We are excited to have you on the podcast. Um, before we get started talking about the topic, we were hoping per usual that you just give us a little bit of information about yourself, background, just like fun facts, tidbits okay. about who you are. Happy to do so and thank you for having me here. So I'm Jeff Hacker. I'm the owner and broker of Bayside Property Management. Bayside has been a property management company in the Bay Area for about 30 plus years now. However, I've only been at the helm of it for about the past 15 years. Only. Um, yeah, only, only the past 15 years. Um, so prior to that, though, I worked for a major corporation, you know, working with them and expanding their retail presence, you know, not only throughout the Bay Area, but pretty much throughout, you know, California and the Western United States. So that's where I'm coming from. And then from time to time, you know, I work with a handful of small investors who unfortunately now have been primarily priced out of the Bay Area market, but are always looking to me for advice as to other markets that they can invest in as far as, you know, purchasing real estate, either small single family homes, you know, small duplexes, fourplexes, or even somewhat larger, you know, multi-unit apartment complexes. That's cool. So even if they don't have the budget to invest in the Bay Area, you'll still consult them on kind of properties to buy and where. Right, because right, a lot of these people are clients and so it's it's a way to maintain, you know, the client relationship and stay in good standings with them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a great segue to our topic today. So mm -hmm. um, when you first started talking about possibly inviting you to become a guest at our podcast, which finally happened. Yay. Um, <laughs> we were interested in talking to you about um, you know, primary, secondary, and tertiary markets and sort of like, what are the trends you know now? But before we dig into those trends, can you give our audience, um, you know, an idea of how you define those different levels of markets? Because sure. different people define them differently. And yeah. so, you know, rental, you know, real estate, mm -hmm. rental property management expert, I want to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll do my best. You know, as far as, you know, the different tiers that you have, you know, typically it's broken out into three tiers. You know, you have your primary markets or sometimes referred to as gateway markets. You have your secondary markets and then you have your tertiary markets. Um, most people define those purely on population, which isn't probably the best way to do it, but typically if you go out there and you look and you do any type of search, you'll see it mostly split out on population, whereas like the primary markets are probably defined as five to six million plus. Your secondary markets anywhere from about a million to five to six million, and then tertiary markets are generally defined as less than two, one to two million and less is how tertiary markets. But when you're really looking at it from an investment point of view, 
and what it holds from a rental um, point of view as well. You know, there's a lot more that has to go into that than just population. You know, you need to take a look at, you know, what's the access to major airport, for example. You know, what's the job growth look like? What does the GDP, you know, look like? Um, you know, is there a major university? Is there even a major sports team, for example? You know, those are all things that you really need to take a look at when you're evaluating, you know, the different markets out there and as far as the potential for investment opportunities. And then you also should look at, you know, like the flow of capital in and out, you know, both domestic and foreign. You should take a look at, you know, what type of real estate transactions have happened, you know, over the last handful of years, both in total total volume as far as number of transactions and then sales dollars. And then, you know, what's going on with the cap rates? You know, are the cap rates remaining steady? You know, are you starting to see pressure on cap rates and they're starting to drop? You know, that all plays into, you know, how you define and look at, you know, each of those markets from an investment point of view. So if you were looking to invest or consulting somebody on investing in a property, would you say that you wouldn't, like like just to kind of reiterate or re-ask what you said, you wouldn't necessarily start by the population, or would you start there and then look at the other factors after that? Um, you, you know, I don't necessarily look at population. I look at most of those other factors first, right, because I think they have a stronger uh, they're a much stronger indicator of what to expect from an investment point of view other than just population. I mean, you, you know, you could take a look at a small market like Bakersfield, for example, and you wouldn't think that Bakersfield would be that good of an investment. But then if you start looking at, at some of the underlying market indicators in Bakersfield, you'll realize that, you know, Bakersfield is actually a pretty good spot to, you know, invest money right now for real estate. That's a really good example. And we were talking, um, we were talking to Eric Hoagland, 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 Hoagland from sorry, SD. Eric, we're talking yeah. from, from SD Real Estate a few weeks ago, and he had brought up Reno as like a good example to that too, like they just have Tesla there, which I don't know if prior to that happening, Reno was a good place to look at for investments, because they do have, um, obviously, UNRs there, uh, I mean, like maybe tourism, I don't know, but that's obviously a big plus. Yeah, Reno has actually been a pretty good market to invest in for a while, um, only primarily because of you know the Nevada tax base, right? So you're starting to see a lot of uh, people move out of California where the tax base is quite a bit higher, and then moving into a much lower tax base, you know, such as you know Reno and you know even parts of like you know Las Vegas, for example, or Henderson is another good example. Mm -hmm. you, you know, so you, you know. The state and the tax base has a you know huge role in playing into that as well. And so, given that you have been working with different types of investors throughout the years, um, your short fifteen-year you know um, <laughs> stint in property management. So, what are the major changes that you have observed? Um, if you want to tell us, you know, based on the tiers or just the broad perspective, like just give us an idea of how it looked like when you first started um, venturing into this industry and how it looks like now. Okay, yeah, I can do that. So I think the best way to probably tackle that is to sort of look at it sort of the, uh, from a broad perspective first, you know, looking at maybe your different uh, population demographics and sort of what's transpired there before diving into each of the different markets. So from a broad perspective, about 15 years ago, you know, the number of college-educated um, renters was, you know, pretty small. You know, there's a lot of, you know, non-college-educated, you know, people, you know, the college-educated tend to be home buyers and stuff like that. But then, 
you know, with the recession that hit in 2008, 2009, 2010, right, you know, you saw a real shift about that time in change of home ownership, and you've had a lot of people sort of become disillusioned with home ownership, so you're starting to see, you know, one of the fastest growing segments that you have in renters is actually the college educated. So, you know, you're seeing a lot more college-educated renters out there, and they tend to be, you know, it's not just that they're going to the urban environments, but they're also, you know, hitting the suburban environments, you know, hard as well. You know, they're looking for the single-family homes is what they're doing, you know, quiet, safer, family-friendly neighborhoods is where they're looking to do that. Um, you know, about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, single-family homes made up maybe about 30% of the market, and they're now probably up to about 35% of the market as far as rental units go. And that's largely because, you know, during the recession, you had all these big institutional buyers come in and snap up all these underwater homes, so to speak, and, and keep them in their portfolio is what's happened. So, but from, from you know, the, the demographics, I mean, you have, you know, the four, you know, general um, demographic groups, you know, you have your Gen Zs, you know, which are, you know, born in 1997 or, or younger, like probably you folks. And then you have, oh, you know, and then you have, <laughs> you have the millennials, you know, born from about 1980, 81 to about 90, 96. Okay. And then you have the Gen Xers, right, who were born from like 65 to about 1980, 81. And then you have the baby boomers, you know, all that were born prior to 1965. Hey, that's me. <laughs> um, yeah, really. So um, as far as each of those segments go, you know, the baby boomers are the fastest growing market segment you have as far as renters go. You know, they're starting to downsize, you know, they're giving up their homes, they're moving mostly into urban areas where they're looking for that walkability, right? You know, they want the amenities. You know, they're looking for access to healthcare, they're looking for access to theaters, restaurants, shopping you know, outdoor spaces, but they just don't want the hassle of home ownership. You know, yeah, they, they don't they want to deal want, with the upkeep. Exactly. They want to simplify their lives mm -hmm. a little bit is, is what they're doing. And at the same token, you're also starting to see them move into uh, the suburban areas a little bit more into the planned communities, you know, like sort of the retirement communities, you're starting to see, you know, so that happen as well. So, you know, so you have kind of it going from, you know, the core family sort of suburban to sort of, you know, the suburban area where it's planned communities and or the urban areas is where you're seeing that. And then you're seeing the Gen Xers, that's probably the next fastest growing segment as far as the dem demographics going, that they're growing about 14%, and they're primarily moving to the suburbs is where they're looking. So, you know, you're seeing a big push towards the suburbs again. Uh, the millennials and Gen Zs, you know, they're the slowest growing markets right now, but the Gen Z uh, you know, that's expected to grow quite rapidly over the next decade or so. Right now, there's estimated to be 5 to 8 million of them in the marketplace, and that's expected to grow to be about 55 to 60 million over the next 10 years as they start, you know, graduating from college, getting out on their own, looking for places to live, you know, as they settle into their jobs. So, so that'll be a big, big area of growth, yeah. you know, coming up. Um, you know, as far as, you know, sort of expectations, you know, the Gen Zs, Millennials, you know, Gen Zs in particular, you know, as we all know that they've grown up with technology, so they're yeah. used to technology and, and that's what they want, right? You know, to them, that's what drives everything in a lot of respects, you know, so they're looking for the online payments, you know, they're looking for free Wi-Fi and docking stations, right? That's what they want. You know, they also are looking for, you know, credit reporting. So where, you know, if they're paying rent, you know, they, they want that to go towards their credit report so that they actually have an opportunity to build credit. 
you know, because the likelihood of them being able to purchase a home anytime soon is pretty small, so they need the opportunity to build credit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're looking for things like that. So, but they're also a much more casual group, right? You know, they're, they're yeah. more laid back, more casual, you know, they're looking for equality, you know, they want the simple messaging, you know, electronic communications is what they want, you know, they want to be able to report things electronically, they want, you know, they're looking for people to be responsive electronically, you know, those types of things. So that's what, you know, the Gen Z and largely even some of the millennials are, you know, in that same boat. What are some challenges that you're seeing just from the way that the, the market has changed and continues to change? Yeah, the challenges are pretty significant. I mean, you've got quite a few of them out there. You really do. I would say that probably the three biggest ones are uh, tenant retention, uh, portfolio loss, and then, you know, the big, 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 big one is affordability is, is what you have. Um, you know, as far as, you know, tenant retention goes, um, you know, you're starting to see sort of a slowdown in the marketplace. You know, you can expect occupancy rates to fall, right? Um, and so, therefore, it's going to become critical to... to you know, try to retain tenants as much as possible. Um, you know, largely, you know, over the last decade or so, I would say that, you know, in the multi-unit housing situation, that occupancy rates probably hovered somewhere between 50 and 60 percent, right? And so, because, you know, you generally have large turnovers in the yeah, multifamily yeah, yeah. units is, is what you have. And, you know, that's probably expected to fall over the next few years to maybe as low as even 40%. So, you know, tenant retention is going to become critical. And, and as far as tenant retention goes, you know, the key there is just making sure that you're meeting their needs in, in an empathetic and responsive manner, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, that's critical there. Um, you know, because they just, you know, they want to know that they've been heard, you know, that their needs have been taken into consideration and that you're trying to respond to their needs and various things like that. So, you know, so, you know, tenant retention is going to become a big issue there. Um, you know, related to that is, you know, job growth. And it almost seems counterintuitive, but, you know, the higher the job growth you have, you know, the less retention you have because people want to move closer to where their jobs are. Yeah. And so as they're shifting jobs, you know, they're also shifting housing to be closer to where they live. Right. So, you know, you've got that factor playing into it. So, you know, in markets like, you know, the Bay Area where you have, you know, significant job growth, you see, you know, quite a bit of movement at times. You know, the other area that you have is portfolio loss. Right. And what's going on there is in the big markets, you know, the primary markets, gateway markets, you know, you see mostly the big institutional investors, big money, deep pocket people coming in, you know, buying up not just single family homes, but the larger apartment buildings. And a lot of those companies actually self-manage, you know, they already have their management staff, you know, there they self-manage. And so, you know, some of these buildings sell and the big deep pocket people buy them, you know, the people that were managing them before, you know, are out of the out of luck and, you know, they get self-managed. So, you know, you have portfolio loss there. Or what we're seeing now in parts of the Bay Area is you're having a lot of people sell their single-family homes and taking their money elsewhere and putting it into, you know, other smaller markets where, you know, you may have a higher yield. Like in California? Especially in California, yeah. Well, a lot of the, if you're selling in California right now, mostly they're moving it out just because of the latest, yeah, <laughs> you know, statewide rent control measure that was just signed yeah. into law, you know, so that, you know, that's, that's hurt. So, you know, you have that. And then, you know, the other part of portfolio loss too is actually the advent of technology. And so since, you know, you know, you've had this real boon in technology, especially as it pertains to property management, um, a lot of the accidental landlords, you know, are finding it easier to manage, 
you know, their properties and that they can do so fairly efficiently without the headaches that they've had in the past, you know, by deploying technology. And so as a result of that, you know, they're actually looking at these as like small businesses now, right? And so, you know, you buy a handful of properties, you know, 10, 12, 15 properties, and you can make a small business out of it and live pretty comfortably and not have the headaches that, you know, you've had in the past just because of technology. So, you know, you're starting to see portfolio loss, you know, from that point of view. And then the big, big one is obviously the affordability. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you're, starts, you're seeing such a big increase in the number of renters is that, you know, you know, home ownership has dropped, you know, significantly and the affordability of that has dropped. And so, you know, for many people renting, even though you have high rents here in the Bay Area, that's still more affordable to them, you know, than buying a home, right? And you having, you know, especially in the major markets like, you know, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, New York, Los Angeles, you know, a lot of tenants are paying up to up to close to 30% of their income or more you know, towards rent. And so, you know, that becomes a real affordability thing for them. And especially for the the uh, millennials and Gen Zs, you know, who are also straddled with a lot of student debt. So, you know, that becomes, you know, that becomes a big issue, mm -hmm. you know, a really big issue. And, you know, as a property management, you know, company, you know, one of our tenant screening criteria is, can you afford this, you know? So how much are you paying in rent versus how much you have in income and then what other kind of debt you have, right? And so it becomes, you know, a screening issue, and it's like, you know, you know, you have all these things over here, and it's like, oh, this would be the perfect tenant, but this is all they make, and this is how much rent is, and you know, you're at thirty-five percent of their income, and it's and like, they and they got two hundred thousand dollars in student debt, <laughs> right, right. So it's like, uh, do you take a chance on them? You know, do you go with them, or do you stay with your screening criteria and say, you know, it's not going to work, you know? You know those kinds of things, and so as a result of that, I think one of the things that you're seeing, especially in more urban areas, is you're seeing a lot of subletting of rooms. Yeah. Right. You know, you'll you'll see like somebody rent a two-bedroom apartment, and you'll have three people living in a two-bedroom apartment, and you'll have you know one couple or two people mm -hmm. sharing a room, all in a way to just kind of reduce the rents. Yeah. How do you do? You think that the work from home culture has any impact on? Um, on the market trends, like for example, if you work for a company in San Francisco, but you don't need to go to work every day, you just have to go in one day a month or one day a week, do you think that encourages residents or renters to live even further out if they're not having to commute there every day, which could could that impact the, the um, not opportunity, but just the benefits of investing in places further out as an oh, example. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think that's you know that's that's a, that's a huge thing that you know certainly is driving some of the changes that you're seeing is the more work from home, you know, type of thing where you know people can actually you know work and live in an area that they want to be in. Um, and then not have to deal with the long commutes, uh, you know, associated with that. So, I mean, you know, you see that in Livermore a lot or Pleasanton, yeah. Walnut Creek. You know, mm -hmm. you see a lot of people living and working out there, but yet their main office is San Francisco or San Jose, mm -hmm. but yet they only go in maybe once or twice a month, mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. So, yeah, so that's definitely driving it. And what's nice about that, too, is that that also helps with the customer or tenant retention, right? You know, they tend to be a longer more stable tenant because they don't have to move to follow their job as much. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Because I feel like obviously we're seeing that in our company even because a lot of us, we have um, a, a few web developers that don't really ever come to the office just because they live 
close enough to where they can come if they need to, but also far enough away that it's a pain to come in every day. And if they lived closer, it would be significantly more, more expensive. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, you can thank technology for that, you know, both from, as we were talking earlier about the stability of the Internet, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, you'd have, you know, at times, you know, a lot of Internet outages. But, you know, over the years, you know, that has stabilized tremendously to where, you know, you don't see as many outages as you have before. And then, you know, technology then and, you know, software has obviously kept up with that to where you have a lot of the cloud computing software out there now to where, you know, people can work very efficiently, share documents and all that kind of stuff. You've got the video conferencing that you can do, you know, so people can stay in touch without necessarily being, you know, right next to each other, sharing cubicles or being in the same office. And that's true with property management as well. You know, it's like a lot of these um, property management software companies out there, Buildium, you know, Yardi, Appfolio, Propertyware, you know, they all have their cloud-based, you know, platforms now to where you can work remotely, right? You know, you can do, you know, your inspections online, you know, you can have shared documents online, you have, you know, you know, the e-signing online and all that, applications online, payment online, you know, financials and, you know, resident portals, you know, and, and owner portals, you know, so all that stuff can now be done remotely, so, you know, you don't have to have that presence in the office all the time. You don't have a filing cabinet you have to go digging through. Exactly. <laughs> or just, extra just space. Just a lot of electronic yeah. files that you now have to go through. <laughs> what are these files you speak of? <laughs> we don't like paper. Oh, no, no. We try to minimize that as much as possible. We we do too. We do too. This is actually <laughs> the one time I use paper most of Me the too. time. Um, I have my computer up, but I realized there's. I think there's like sometimes when it's nice to have paper. Sometimes when it's nice to write notes. Um, but it, yeah, no files for us. <laughs> no file but, cabinet. But we try to minimize that as much as possible as well. Yeah, and to to your point, right? Like. The trend right now is going more like online digital, mm-hmm. and that's what not just uh, residents are expecting, but also like owners. Right. Um, and that's also part of why there are a lot more out of state investors willing to just like, you know, mm-hmm. invest in a property we've never seen before because, you know, they can check photos, it's easier to communicate yeah. with. Well, their there's property. companies like Roofstock, exactly, other investment companies where you can just like bundle and group group invest which i'm sure there are like some pros and cons to that um but there's more encouragement to invest that way nowadays i feel like yeah there definitely is there's no question about it and that's what's made it easier for a lot of people especially like you know for people in in markets like the bay area where you may have some money but you can't you know you're priced out of the bay area just because it's too expensive you know then you can look at markets like sacramento for example or you know portland oregon or you know spokane washington or like ann arbor michigan right or you can go to lafayette indiana or places like that you know san antonio texas you know santa fe new mexico you know you can look at all those different markets desirable places yeah where you've got price tag exactly where it's affordable for a smaller investor to be able to get and, you know, oftentimes you find, you know, much better yields in smaller markets like that because the cap rates are higher. You know, here if you're buying into a bigger market like this, you know, you're buying more for appreciation rather than yields. But in smaller markets like that, it's it's a combination of, you know, yields and appreciation. You might not get the appreciation, but, you know, you have higher yields.
fields, and so it's you know more affordable for the smaller investor. But then you know with you know virtual reality out there, you know with the videos that you can do, you know you can get a really good view of what's going on with the property without actually having to be present. And then you know if you hire a professional management company to manage it for you, and then they have the cloud-based you know software, you know then you can go online, you have your own portal, you can check out pictures, you can get your financials, you can see what invoices have been paid, etc. So, you know, what inspections have been done, you know, all that kind of stuff, work orders that are open, so. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned um, investing, like living in um, a more expensive area and investing elsewhere. I've been reading a lot recently about, I mean, millennials doing that, living in somewhere like New York or San Francisco or somewhere where the cost of living is high, the cost to purchase any type of property is really high, um, and people people continuing to rent, or millennials continuing to rent, but buying somewhere in like one of the places you mentioned. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a way for them to start building wealth, right? I mean, <clears throat> for my generation and, and people slightly younger than me, you know, some of their greatest assets are probably tied up in the real estate that they have mm -hmm. is really what it comes down to. But with the younger generation, the Gen Zs and the Millennials, you know, because of the student debt and because of how difficult it is to get mortgages and stuff like that, how expensive rents have been, you know, they haven't saved for the down payment mm -hmm. for where they want to live, yeah. right? And so they can't afford to buy a home where they want to live, but yet that's where they want to be. It's more affordable for them to rent, so they stay there, yeah. but they look at opportunities to create wealth elsewhere. And so, you know, they purchase properties as a good investment, you know, in markets where they can afford it, where they've been able to save up. You know, I mean, in some markets, you know, you take Lafayette, Indiana, for example, right? You know, it's close to Indianapolis. You know, you have a growing, you know, job base there. You're starting to see the logistics business spread out from Indianapolis. You know, it's, you know, major airport. You know, they've got the sports teams there, right? But yet you can still find single-family homes for under 150000 you know, crazy. you know, in some places they're even under a hundred thousand. Makes me Why jealous. Why not invest? I know it makes me <laughs> jealous, but it's also the reason I kind of almost brought it up again after you you said that initially. It's just because it is. It's a good idea. It's yes. it's a really good idea, and I think that some people are taking advantage of it, and some people aren't. Um, I wonder if that's something that property managers should be leveraging as a form of communication to their tenants. Like maybe if they have partnerships with other real estate investors in other areas, they could reach out to their tenants like, hey, I know it's expensive to buy property here, yeah. but investing is still a good idea. If you have the money to buy, just not here, we have the resources to connect you with somebody here, somebody there. And it's not even just um, between state lines here. So um, I remember during the last PM Grow Summit, um, we were talking to the owner of property management company in Canada. Mm -hmm. And you know, in, in so doing, um, he mentioned that they have a lot of clients who are investors who wanna invest also in the, in the US, not just in Canada. And they have this page on their website that just like lists out all the different property management companies they've found online who are in the states who they happen can recommend. who can they can recommend and yeah. you know they just have a link to the websites and i asked them 
why are you just like blindly sending off your investors to go contact these property managers? This is a trend. Like investors want to you know expand their reach, make partnerships yeah. with these property management yeah. companies across because they might have investors in their markets yeah. who want to invest in Canada yeah. and. And then you're all the more knowledgeable when you mm -hmm. have these partnerships because you not only like share clients, you can share ideas and yeah. marketing. So information. it's like building the relationships. It's like building the relationships to have them, but also planting the seed with the type of people you want those relationships to benefit from. Because like as a renter, um, I'm I'm always saving money. Like I want to buy a home but I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, so it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be a little while. Um, and obviously I've I've been recently doing research, looking how I can invest in other areas. But if, if my landlord or somebody, um, like a local property management company or even just real estate company was reaching out to me, planting that seed, I think um, it would make it more likely for that to happen sooner. I, I don't know, that was just an, yeah, that, those are that's actually you know really good ideas because you, you know ultimately you never know where you know somebody's going to live right and more importantly is you don't know who's got what money and, and what their motivation is to do with that money right mm -hmm. so I mean you know you've got a lot of millionaires you know out there living all over the country and you know they may live in Indianapolis for example right and, and you know have decided that they want to try their luck in the Bay Area right so if you know if you developed a relationship with a property management company in Indianapolis they could recommend you as a potential partner to look out here for example so that's actually a really good idea and then as far as, you know, your tenant base goes, right, I mean, for the millennials and then the Gen Zs, you know, it's all about relationships, right? That, that's really what it's all about. And so, you know, if you're developing those kinds of relationships to where you can have that kind of communications with them, you know, that's, you know, going to endear them even more to you. You're likely to keep them longer as yeah. a tenant, right, because they feel grateful that, you know, you're really trying to help them and out. there's a trust that's built. Very much, and that's, yeah. you know, especially for Gen Zs, you know, trust is a big part of what they're looking for. Definitely. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier in the very beginning, how even though you might not be able to help your current clients buy more properties in the area, you're doing it already. So I kind of just stole your idea that you <laughs> said <that> earlier. <laughs> you should trademark that. <laughs> I'm good at stealing ideas. So, um, we so you had shared with us kind of like an overview of like what you've seen has changed um, since the time you started in the industry, and then now with the advent of technology and just people thinking of real estate and like their home a completely different way than it was like 10, 15 years ago. Um, their needs changing. Yeah, their needs changing. The American dream, dream has changed because before it was like, mm -hmm. I want a house and a lot with a picket fence. Now it's like, I want to pursue my passion. And if that means moving across the globe, you know, mm -hmm. three times within the year because I need to know which one like speaks to my soul, for example, mm -hmm. then that's what I'll do. And so just completely different. Are there um, like specific changes you've observed in each tier that you'd like to, our audience to maybe um, get a better idea on or want to point out? Um, you know, as far as like, you know, the primary market, secondary, tertiary, is that what you're referring to? Yes. Um, yeah, you know, there certainly has been a, a pretty significant change in how people approach that, right? I mean, what you're seeing in all markets, actually, this kind of cuts across all the tiers, is that people want to live where they want to live, 
mm-hmm. right, is really what it comes down to, regardless if it's, you know, the Bay Area or if it's a smaller market like Austin or even a smaller market like Omaha, Nebraska, for example, right? You know, they want to live where they want to live. And so, you know, they don't have a problem with renting because that's where they want to be. Right. Um, so, you know, so you have seen, you know, that that big change is really what it comes down to. So in the primary markets, I would say the biggest change that you've seen there is with the baby boomers. Right. You know, they're, you know, giving up their homes. They're looking for the the uh, convenience of just renting and not having the hassle of home maintenance, but they also tend to be more affluent. And so you find them move, moving into the urban areas, you know, they're tending to move into, you know, your bigger markets, primary markets, where they have access to the amenities that they want. You know, for them, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about walkability, right? You know, they want to be able to live someplace and then be able to walk. You know, they don't necessarily want to have to get in a car to drive places. So, you know, so they're looking for the convenience of shopping, you know, theater, you know, healthcare, right? You know, they, yeah, restaurants, they yeah, yeah, and, and you know, but yet they still want to have access, easy access to major airports. So you know, when they travel, they can get out easy, in places like that, right? Places with Ubers. Yeah, places <laughs> with yeah Ubers and Lyft. <laughs> Yes. This is not sponsored, by the way. Right. So, you know, know, the baby boomers, that's what they're looking for there. And then what you're starting to see, especially with the uh, Gen X and then some, you know, to the millennials, you know, you're starting to see them, you know, move into the smaller markets. So you're seeing them move to the tertiary markets, you know, the secondary markets. And for them, you know, they're moving more into the, you know, the suburbans. They're looking, as I mentioned earlier, the single-family homes, right, where they have safe neighborhoods, you know, family-friendly, but yet still convenient. You know, they're still looking for the convenience of restaurants, shopping. You know, they still want the convenience of an airport, you know, those kinds good of things. Ground. Yeah, good middle ground. And so, you know, you're starting to see, you know, that. But the other thing that, the big thing that I think you've seen is you're seeing a real change in the economics in, in some of these areas where it's, it's like, you know, all of your businesses tend to congregate um, in your big metropolitan areas, you know, you're starting to see a lot of businesses, you know, move out of these big areas for a variety of different reasons, right? You know, Blue Bottle, I think, just recently announced that they're moving to Sacramento, for example, right? Primarily because, you know, rents in the area are are pretty expensive, and so they can get, you know, nicer places for less rent. Mm -hmm. But the big thing is, is is, uh, both from a labor point of view, and then a housing point of view, right? And as I spoke about before, you know, the shortage of housing and the affordability of housing, you know, makes it difficult for companies, you know, to retain, you know, good workers. And then you've got such demand for workers in areas like the Bay Area that it's hard to even acquire, you know, good workers. And so, you know, you can go to a place like Sacramento where you've got, you know, good, stable jobs, you know, you've got, you know, a nice educated workforce. And so, you know, you don't have as much competition, you know, to hire good workers. And so you're starting to see a lot of companies move into smaller markets, you know, which has been helping in those smaller markets, you know, from a rental point of view, right? Um, So, you know, you're seeing a lot of that happening. You know, you're seeing, you know, smaller markets. It's like, you know, Dallas, for example, and Austin. I mean, you know, they've got their booming tech sector, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, the Silicon Valley is, you know. And so, you know, that's playing a big role. And, you know, people moving out of, you know, the metropolitan areas such as the Bay Area or Boston or New York, for example, and moving to these smaller markets. So, you know, you're seeing, you know, that trend. Well, and even the smaller markets like Sacramento, for example, like you were saying, it's just even living there has become more desirable in the last, I would say, five, five, ten years. Yeah. 
just right. because since people are moving there, more businesses are being established. Right, and they have a much more dynamic cultural scene going on. You know, you're bringing in a lot more diversity. So, you know, yeah. you're getting a lot a lot of different types of restaurants moving in. You get a lot of different types of shopping, you know, mm-hmm. available. But yet it's still considered family-friendly, yeah. safe place for, for people to be, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, you it's know, like that's the what they're looking for. Worlds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Sacramento in particular, because, you know, they've got the whole riverfront down there yeah. now, which is, you know, that's very appealing for the younger generation. Absolutely. Sure. And so with all these changes happening, right, in the market, um, whether it's the primary, secondary, tertiary markets, um, how should a property manager keep pace with all these changes? Because it's one of these things where it's not like overnight, like one day, you know, this is status quo, and then the next day is completely different. It's easy to pinpoint the changes. It happens gradually, right? And so it's very easy to get sort of like, stuck in sort of oh this is how it's always been but then if you're not like keeping you know um your hand on the pulse it's easy to start just you know um veering away from what's really happening and so how would you know a a normal property manager ensure he she is like peak uh take uh, sorry like noticing that little things that they should be taking note of right yeah so you know there's a multitude of ways that you could really address something like that right i mean first and foremost you know the key is to developing strong relationships with your owners as well as your tenants right because you know you really want to be cognizant of what their needs are making sure that you're addressing their needs and you know a lot of times you know things will be driven by what they're asking for right so if you're being conscientious about you know your owner needs your tenant needs and you're making a concerted effort to try to address those you know you'll kind of more or less keep your pulse on sort of the changes that are going on because they oftentimes will be dictating that but the other thing that I would recommend for you know property managers to do is make sure that they stay up with you know all the various trade regs that are out there. I mean, there's numerous publications that you can subscribe to, and numerous professional organizations like NARPM, you know, IRM, you know, are two big examples of professional organizations that you can become part of, and that they share you know a wealth of information as far as what's going on, you know, with the various partners that they've partnered with, right? Um, you know, so you've got you know you've got those types of things and then I would encourage people to go to various conferences right you know there's all sorts of real estate conferences you know put on by a variety of different groups again NARPM you know IRAM four and a half has their growth summit and so you know there's plenty of conferences for people to attend to you know that's a wealth of information as far as you know what's going on in the marketplace so those would be you know sort of my three recommendations the key being obviously is to develop those relationships with your owners and tenants I think that's really the key as far as what drives you know the marketplace yeah that's just really interesting because um, in the property management industry a lot of times you know there can be tenants who ruin it for the rest of the tenant yep. pool right yeah there you you have these where you don't want to yeah you, you just like you just you just get drained just dealing with a small handful of tenants that you want to just shy away from the tenants and say like you know what I have you know, a team that can handle the tenants. I'll just deal they with get the what owners. They get type of thing. But but to your point, right? Like the be- one of the best ways to consistently have a feel for what's happening in the market is to have those conversations, have those mm-hmm. relationships, not just with owners but your residents. Because who's paying the rent? The residents. Without the rent, you can't really, yeah. you know. Succeed. Well, and applicants too. And so applicants. It's like your current residents 
listening for what people are asking you when they're applying. Hey, do like you were saying, do you have Wi-Fi? Do you have hubs? Do you have right. you know f free water? Whatever it is, like whatever like they're hoping is included, um, that's a good indicator. And then yeah, I don't do when when tenants are up for renewal, do they also ask those same type of questions? Like hey, I'm signing a new lease. It, is there anything new? Well, like, do they do that? Because, I mean, I know that... It, 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 sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It just depends upon, you know, the condition of the property at the time that they move in and what amenities that property already has, right? You know, a lot of tenants, you know, are looking for the in-unit washer and dryers, for example. You know, a lot of tenants want to be able to have pets in their units. They want them to be pet-friendly. Those are things to listen for. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, especially the younger generation, the Gen Zs, the millennials, you know, they're looking for energy efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're looking for the smart appliances, you know, yeah. they're looking for the Nest, for example, so that, you know, they have the climate control. They're looking for those types of things. And so oftentimes, you know, if they move into a place that doesn't have it and it's up for renewal, they'll sometimes ask about, well, can, you know, can we get a Nest or can we get this or can we get, you know, smart, you know, a smart refrigerator, various things like that, you know, all in a way to help, you know, you know minimize you know the environmental impact of certain things so, so you do get some of those requests right but largely if you're really meeting the tenants needs and you're being responsive to them and you're you know empathetic to what they are and you're listening to them and, and making a concerted effort to try to address their needs you know most of the time they're pretty content and you know will renew as, as long as you know they don't have a job move or something yeah. like that right yeah yeah ultimately feeling secure and happy in the home is more important than having a fancy thermostat. Exactly, yeah. because for, for them, you know, even though they're renters, they consider it home, right? Yeah. They don't consider it just a transient, transient place that, that, you know, I'm just going to hang my hat or put my boots for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, they actually consider it home, right? And, and so, you know, they want to feel safe and they want to feel heard. Is, is what they want to hear, right? You know, they want the comfort, the convenience of things, right? Absolutely. That's what they want. Yeah. Um, I had one more question. So given the um, importance of understanding where the market is, where the market's going, key things to do, right, to keep up with these changes, um, how do you ensure that the rest of your team kind of like keeps up with this? Because obviously, um, as the, the owner of the company, it is incumbent on you, right, to make sure that you're aware of what's happening in the marketplace so you can pivot your team if, if need be. Mm -hmm. But um, do you also, like, you know, have your team, like, subscribe to publications? Do you have meetings where you share these insights with them? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have, in my, my office, I have monthly staff meetings, you know, where we go over a lot of the changes, regulatory changes, for example, you know, like, like recently with the homeowners association they just signed bill SB 232 I think which has significant ramifications for how you manage homeowners associations for example so you know what I'll do is I'll have one of my staff you know research that and then present their findings at oh, a staff meeting really is is what we do um, or you know I require my staff to always have continuing education for example or I'll send my staff to a seminar or a conference and then you know when they get back at the next staff meeting you know I'll have them present you know everything that they heard and found at these you know conferences and staff meetings so that's my way of keeping my staff informed educated so they're you know up to speed and date on all the various changes that are happening in the marketplace both from just sort of a trend as well as regulatory point of view so it's not just 
your responsibility. It's their responsibility yeah. to be Absolutely. accountable for too. Yeah, it gets them engaged, right? It yeah. gets them engaged and, you know, makes them feel like they're more part of a team and that they've got this specific knowledge that they can share, you know, so, you know, I find that my staff really enjoy doing that. Yeah, yeah. it's also very empowering because oh, instead of like all the knowledge coming from top to bottom, um, over time you start building ex, uh, like subject matter experts within mm-hmm. your company. Like, hey, you know, oh, that like, oh, he's the person to go to whenever it's, let's say, like HOA specific mm-hmm. stuff. Like, oh, that's the guy to go to. And then you yourself start feeling like, yes, I am the HOA expert, right? And it also creates, I feel like, from... with new team members or people that may be intimidated by getting information from the owner all of the time, um, it might create more openness to ask questions. It does. Yeah. And then then you find that when they're together, you know, they tend to talk amongst themselves a lot more and start sharing a lot more information, you know, because, you know, you'll have somebody that may go to like a legal seminar that's like, you know, tenant evictions and comfort animals and so on and so forth. And so, you know, they go there and then they come back and then they'll talk to the HOA person about, you know, the various changes that have happened with the HOA regulation. So there's just a lot more sharing of information, you know, when you have people that have, you know, more specific knowledge about this or that. So that's amazing. Yeah. Very good. Um, I think that like, for me, the main takeaway that I got from, from this entire conversation was just that everything's changing all the time. It's constant. (laughs) You don't know, you have to keep educating yourself. Right. Right. And you have to be aware of, you know, what's happening in your specific marketplace. Like, you know, if you're a smaller management company and you primarily just manage units within a a very defined geographic region, you know, you have to be aware of what's happening in that region. If you're primarily like in the city, you know, you might be finding that, you know, most of your tenant applications are now, you know, your older baby boomers, right? And so, you know, they have certain expectations for what they want in, in housing. And so you need to make sure that you're meeting their needs is really what it is. But if you're, you know, more in a suburban area, you know, you may be finding that you're getting a lot more of the millennials and, you know, Gen Xers. And so, you know, their expectations are going to be a little bit different for what they're looking for. So as a management company, I think it's really important that you understand, you know, who your marketplace is, who you're catering to, and that you're addressing their needs is really what it comes down to. You know, so, you know, you want to be, you know, empathy-driven, technology-enabled. I like I love, that. Yeah. Ah! Jinx, <laughs> almost jinx. But I love, <laughs> though, that, that final thought, right? Yeah. Very, um, very, like, strong and powerful. Yeah, so to, to our listeners um, for this episode, we hope that you had a lot of, you know, insights to learn from what Jeff has generously shared with us. Yeah. And also, like, have a better idea of how to keep not just yourself informed of what's happening in your marketplace, but also your team engaged and informed. Because I think um, they always say, right, like you're only as strong as your weakest link. And if the culture within your company feels like everything's top to bottom, if somebody who is like new notices something, they might not speak up because they're like, oh, I don't know anything about this but if your culture that's where you want the ideas coming from exactly if if you have if you have this culture that celebrates hey everyone has their own kind of realm and even the owner might come to the hoa expert Mm -hmm. 
just to bounce ideas off of, then the smaller guys are more likely to share their ideas than just make the company better. And so, you're more likely to be up to date with all the trends. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me this here. This is really wonderful. Yeah, we enjoyed talking to you so much. Thank Learned you. a lot. Great conversation. Yeah. Um, to all of our listeners at home, in the car, wherever you may jogging. be. Jogging. Jogging. You might be jogging. Um, you might be eating ice cream. Biking. Who knows? Um, biking. Yeah. Um, please let us know if you have any questions. Hopefully you enjoyed this. If you have any questions for Jeff, let us know. Um, and hopefully, hopefully you liked it. Thank you very much.